a weird little plastic vial kind of thing um, that a few of you know about, but most of you, 95 plus percent of you, have never seen this or heard me talk about it. It's something that I, I hold pretty dear, honestly. Uh, this is a pretty big deal to me. My college soccer coach gave me this as a gift. And this was right when the field was being taken away, you know, the old field that actually had grass before the new field was put in. And, uh, and so some of this was put into these little vials and, and, and sent to those of us uh, who played together in college. And it says, Blood, Sweat, and Tears from East McCulley Field, Wheaton College Soccer, 1935 to 2003. This was given to me as a gift that it's just dirt. It's just dirt. It's not that big a deal. But I put it in a place that's prominent in my office. I walk in every day and it's sitting there so I can see it. So it can remind me of what I shared with those men on that field working together for a purpose that was bigger than us. This is a reminder to me of my connection with those guys. It says blood, sweat, and tears because all three of those were involved in that. And so I look at that and I say, man, I've been given something. I've been given something so that I can give it to others. I look back at my experience in college, and this is just a symbol of it, of being on that team, and I think, you know what? I was part of something that was bigger than me, that was so great that I have to treasure that gift and give it away to others. First Peter 4.10, which I alluded to just a second ago, great passage, talks about it this way. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As we have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's many graces. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about what God has accomplished in Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about what God has done for us in Christ. Starting with last week and going through the rest of the series, chapters 4 through 6 talk about our response to what God has done in Christ. And there's a, there's a power-packed word that, that's a favorite of Paul, and it should ring fondly in the ears of all who are believers who know what it was like to, Ephesians 2, be dead in trespasses and sins, and yet now be alive because of what we have in Christ. And that power-packed word that should ring fondly in the ears of all believers is the word grace. The favorite word for Paul. He uses it in a bunch of places in the New Testament, Romans, Ephesians especially. Uh, but it's a word for him that is a way to describe the sort of glue that keeps us connected. Grace is like the part that keeps the church body to be a well-oiled machine so that it continues to use its connectedness for the reason that it exists, which is to give away what God's given to us. That's the whole thing today. The whole thing today is that our connectedness, our togetherness, our oneness, our gathering, our resources, every nook and cranny of your existence in life, every single penny that you call your own, everything about who you are, what you do well, your entire family, all of that, all of that. 
is a part of giving back grace to others. Here's a good definition of grace that you're going to want to write down if you're a note taker. Just so we have this in, in our heads. And we'll talk about how this develops a little bit in Ephesians before we jump into Ephesians 4. But here's a good definition of grace. We'll put it up there for you if you want to write this down. Grace is goodwill freely disseminated by God. Grace is goodwill or, or favor freely disseminated by God. The word disseminated just means sort of to cast it out, to cast out seed. Is freely disseminated by God. Here's the thing that makes this grace. This is, this is what Christianity is, that nothing else is. This is the difference between Christ as the exclusive way to, to God versus anything else that doesn't work. This is what makes it grace. It's especially to the benefit of the recipient, those who receive it, regardless of the benefit accrued to the one who casts it out. It's a good definition of grace there. You're going to want to have in your minds as we go through Ephesians 4 here and uh, talk first about what that grace looks like in the book of Ephesians. I'm not going to put these on screen for you, uh, but they're worth writing down these references that I'll mention to you as we go along here because I want to show you what grace looks like in the book of Ephesians and how it's applied first to anybody and everybody who calls Christ Lord, who's experienced the riches of Christ given to us. Then secondly, to Paul talking about his own ministry, that he works, that he operates, that he ministers out of this grace. And then thirdly, for today, how this grace is applied to the body as the oil that makes it work well. So back to Ephesians here. He talks about grace in a bunch of ways. Just listen to how he talks about it here. First, he starts by talking about grace as God's description of his immeasurable kindness to us in Christ. Grace is the description of God's immeasurable kindness, riches, mercy, benefit, blessing to us in Christ. Ephesians 1, 2, grace to you. This is how he starts off the letter. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 2. Ephesians 1, 6, he says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. In love he made us a part of his family in Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Ephesians 1, 7, In the Beloved, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of His grace. Our forgiveness comes because of grace. Ephesians 2, 5, Even when we were dead in our sins, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 7, He did this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the work of God. Then Paul begins to apply this grace more specifically to his own ministry. And he says, my own ministry is only as effective as, as God makes it in that it gives as God gave. Ephesians 3.2 He's writing to the Ephesians and says he assumes that they have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, to Paul for the Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Ephesians 3, 8, to me, though I am very least of all the saints, he says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians 3.16, his prayer for the Ephesians is that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant or grace you to be strengthened with power through, through his spirit in your inner being. And then beginning here today, 
chapter 4, verse 7 hints at this, and then we'll pick it up in 11 through, 17, uh, 11 through 16. Beginning here in chapter 4, he applies the grace to the body, reminding us that we are given so that we may be gracious. We are connected so that we may connect others. When we connect others, when we give away, when we use what God's given us in the body to give it away, we are being grace to people. That's just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. So, Ephesians 4, 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us. Grace was given to each one of us. Remember 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So the big idea today, in one brief sentence that we showed you earlier, is that we are connected for growth that gives as God gives. Let's read Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 together. Read the whole passage, get sort of an overview, and we'll dive back in at verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A body that grows gives away the grace that it's been given. Jump in at verse 11. We're going to press pause real quick here after the first three words. The first three words are, and he gave. So we're going to focus on those two words, this, this phrase, he gave, because it sets the tone for the whole, the whole passage. In the context here, long story short, God gives to us from His perfection, His holiness, His riches, His, His goodness. He gives to us in Christ. That's why earlier in Ephesians it talks about us having an inheritance. We, sung, we sang about that earlier, having the blessings of Christ, uh, earning from His riches, not because of our works, but because He has given it to us. Earn was not the right word there, by the way. This is grace that we just talked about here. So, so here's the thing about Him giving. Here's the thing about Him giving. When God gives... It's not as we give. When God gives, it is not like when we give. When God gives something, it is directed at His purposes, at achieving His glory, and making His goodness known. Those are, those are viable, good, right things as the purpose for His giving. Because unlike us, He actually deserves every single one of those. When God gives, it's not as we give. When we give, it's with sort of sinful, human, self-centered reasons. It's like with strings attached. That's how we give. It's actually, think about it, it's actually directed at our glory. <laughs> Very easily. When we give, it's with strings attached. We have this sort of uh, infernal need. We call it a need. It's not really a need, but 
but we pervert the world this way. We have this sort of infernal need, for example, we could talk about this in lots of ways, but we have this infernal need to erect idols to ourselves. And, and I think this is more literal <laughs> than you may at first think. We have this infernal need to erect idols to ourselves, to have uh, buildings or scholarships or park benches or pews that have our names on them. I mean, think about how actually silly that can be. And we don't have names on our pews, but that was a pretty common way to pay for pews in churches all over this land for a long, long, long time. (laughs) When we someday (gasps) have different seating in this actual room, because we exist to connect those who are not yet connected, are we preaching yet? We are not going to have plaques. I quit if we have plaques. If we're going to have a plaque on these seats that one might call chairs, instead of it saying in honor or memory of Joe Schmo, because Joe Schmo's family uh, wants to, you know, honor this person, we're going to have plaques that read, This chair purchased anonymously with God's money by someone immeasurably blessed by God's grace so someone else can worship the living God. Are we preaching yet? Actually, I don't really want plaques. A gift certificate maybe or a little, you know, I mean mean, a a certificate that says, hey, you gave this chair. Um, Or... (laughs) Maybe nothing other than, for example, the satisfaction of knowing that God used you. Is that reward enough? What? Imagine if we gave more like God gave. If we gave more like God gave. If we gave in the same kind of spirit, if we were good stewards of the gift given to us. I mean, think about the the nature of the gift of Christ given to us. He gave up internal riches and inheritance and glory of, of perfection so that out of His giving up, out of His emptiness, we could know Him. That's the manner in which it was given. And if we give more like that, we will see God make Himself known in the lives of people here and now today. So God gave. That's the, that's the two-word theological underpinning of this whole passage. God gave. <laughs> but He didn't give just so that we could hoard the Gospel. He didn't give so that we could hoard our connection. Face inward. Enjoy just one another. He gave like He gave to us so that others could benefit. Connected to connect, blessed to be a blessing, Genesis 12 and 17. So, the gifts he gave, verse 11, the gifts he gave are not exactly like this gift that I talked about earlier. This gift that I talked about earlier actually represents people. It actually represents people. The gifts he gives here to maintain our mission for connection are actually, keep reading, people. Look at this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, 
and the teachers. Now, two things to note here. Notice that the gifts are people, like we just mentioned. Certainly these people have spiritual gifts, uh, but Paul has stated it here, not to emphasize that others don't have gifts that are as meaningful, but just to say that these are the gifts that help ensure that the connection is about connecting others. So it's, it's just kind of a cool way to say that people are the structure that keeps this body working as God means for it to. Not a program, not a building, not, uh, not having a particularly ministry, particular ministry style. Uh, a church is only as strong as the people in it who understand that our connection for growth is for the purpose of giving it away, just like in keeping with the nature of the gift given to us. So we're connected to connect. Second thing to notice here about these titles, these offices here. Uh, long story short, these offices, these, these titles used here by Paul are, uh, and this is all one word, leadership of the body through the word offices. Leadership of the body through the word of God offices. That's why he lists these particular ones there. Paul is not saying that these are the only important people. <laughs> He is very emphatically not saying that. Later on in this passage, we'll see that he's not saying that. Uh, that's also clear in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Paul is not saying these are the only important people. He's simply pointing out that these leadership offices are a way of ensuring that we as a body continue to give away in a way that fits with what was given to us. So don't misread this as the only important stuff. It's just saying that these leaders have that specific kind of task to ensure that the Word of God is what motivates the grace to be uh, what makes this a well-oiled body of believers. So that task that they've been been given, verse 12, is to equip. The Word of God is the the equipment needed. The The apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are tasked with preparing through the Word, preparing and equipping the saints for the work of ministry there in the middle of verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We believe in a doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. First Peter 2 is a good place to look at that. Uh, the priesthood of all believers. It's a fundamental New Testament doctrine. And what that means is, ironically, he's just listed the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and, uh, and teachers. He just listed these offices that, that feed through the word. And yet, the next thing he says is that they're to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is to say that we are all ministers. First Peter 2, look it up, it's a great passage. First Peter 2 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. First Peter 2, you're being built up into a spiritual house. Uh, and then it says, just like connected to connect, so that, so that those who are ministers, which is all who believe in Christ, all who live from that inheritance and the riches in Christ, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Blessed to be a blessing, connected to connect, graced to grace. So this idea of us all being ministers is a way to talk about how this connection needs to to work, how to happen. So that's what the connection is for, being equipped by the word so that we will all be ministers. That's a kind of a way to say the first little section there, first couple 
uh, verses. Equipped through the word so that we will all be ministers. Equipped through the word so that we will all be ministers. So why do we do this? Keep reading. For the building up, for the growth of the body of Christ. Why? So that, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, until we all achieve this oneness that gives from the fullness of God's give to us. In other words, our mission for all of us as a part of the body is to understand that from God's fullness, we act, we move in unity of purpose. Why? Verse 14. This is one of those long sentences, by the way, in Paul. Actually, it goes all the way from 11 to 16. It's one long sentence where he says the same thing about five different ways or times. And so he's saying, this is all about maturity. This is all about growth. This is all about becoming like Christ. This is all about giving this away. So that's kind of where he's headed with all of this. So that, verse 14, we may no longer be children. He's saying, grow up, Paul says. Stop hoarding grace. By the way, a a huge difference between bodies of believers uh, who are about themselves or about others, those who are about their connection for self or for connection for growth for others. A huge difference is simply, and there are lots of ways we could say that, but this is one of them. Grace is so wonderful. Let's just hug grace all day long and hoard it for me. That's, that's a body that really doesn't care about somebody going to hell. Let's just talk frankly. Let's just talk frankly. That's a body of believers that doesn't know that there is such a thing as being dead in trespasses and sins. They don't remember what that was like for themselves, Ephesians 2. They're hoarding grace, which is not in keeping with the gift itself. (laughs) A body that's fruitful, a body that cares about mission, a body that knows that there are people who will die without knowledge of Christ for eternity, looks at grace and says, I don't deserve this. Which is why I love Jesus and I want to give it away. It's not rocket science. Hoarding it or giving it away. Slash, hoarding slash, I earned this. Self-righteousness. Picked myself up by my bootstraps and I got myself here. Self-made man, which is an illusion. Doesn't exist. It's a lie from Satan. That's the difference between a church that cares about self and a church that cares about others. Hoarding it or giving it away. So, why? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children who hoard it, who are tossed to and fro by the waves. This is how he characterizes it. Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Before we move on to verse 15, a quick little word about this here. There are those who, and the scripture talks about this in a bunch of places, talks about them as wolves in sheep's clothing. There are those who would like to pervert the body into a tool for Satan's schemes. And if a body is inwardly directed because of enough of the people inside of it, then that is becoming a tool for Satan's schemes. They're synonymous. And there are those within the body who would like to pervert the body to be about self. He's saying it right here. He's saying, don't be children who are tossed to and fro by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul's saying that these children exist in the body. So we must be focused 
on the goal of our connection. We must always remember that the goal of our connection is to connect others. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are rich to give away riches. That is what it is like to live a a Christ-like life. You think it looks like Christ to sit there and go, I have so many wonderful things. Thank you, Jesus, for all those wonderful things. I think I'll just stuff them in the ground, keep them to myself. Parables about this. That's not Christ-likeness. That's selfish. That's, that's acting like a child, Paul says. He's saying, grow up. This connectedness is about something bigger than that. <laughs> the great irony, of course, is that if you were just, just on the face of it looking for the most pleasure and enjoyment you could out of all of the resources in the world that you see, <laughs> the true hedonist says, I look at them all and I know where they come from and giving them away as a way that matches with the grace given to us is the hedonistic response. If you're just looking for the best way to be happy, it would be to love what God's given to you and to love giving it away. That would be it. All of that is a sort of free, tangential, on-the-spot thing. Instead of acting like a child in the body, verses 15 following, speak the truth in love. He says, instead of letting the body become inward and selfish and ruled by the evil one, rather speak the truth in love. Now this is a a power-packed phrase here, speaking the truth in love. I'm going to say this slowly. I'll say it a couple times. You may want to write this down because this is what he means by speaking the truth in love. To speak the truth in love is to use one's words in a way that is shaped by godliness such that it helps the body grow. To speak the truth in love is that filter. To use one's words in a way that is shaped by godliness so that it helps the body grow. It's not truth at all costs ugliness that vomits on people. It's not not a pretend, quote, love that isn't actually love that is nothing but sentimentalism that, that, that speaks no truth to people. It's to speak the truth in love so that you, so that I, can speak godliness into one another and benefit you to become who God made you to be. That is what this is. That's what the body is. (laughs) Remember last week we talked about how Paul reminds us who we are. In part, your participation in the body here is a reminder to you each week of who you are, of who God made you to be, of why you exist. So your connectedness is a reminder that God brought you here And that that grace is what puts you in these seats. And so that that connectedness is a growth that is about giving as God gives. A connected to connect mentality. Now if we do this, if we speak the truth in love to one another, keep reading, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The goal here is maturity into Christ-likeness, not maturity into likeness of you, not maturity, quote, maturity into likeness of what it is like to be, you know, a person who looks like me and that I like and that we have a lot in common. I mean, uh, 
that's not what we're maturing people into. That's a congregation that makes disciples of self instead of making disciples of Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ. Now notice that, that, that Christ here is not just the goal of the growth. He's also the means. He's not just the goal. Uh, the maturity is not just the goal of growth. He's also the source of that growth. Look at this. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. In other words, well-oiled churches have grace between its joints. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, when each person does his or her part in the body, that's what makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a cool phrase that is, builds itself up. How cool is it that God is so in charge that merely by us obeying him and doing our, our little part, think about that. If each one of us is obeying Christ and doing what he's called us to do in the body, our little part, just our little part of it, the body grows. This means that regardless of the office, regardless of the title, regardless of the number of years of ministry, regardless of how old you are, regardless of your, your particular expertise, your, your special skills, regardless of the number of degrees after your name or the n- amount of money in your bank account, every single part of the body matters. Every member matters. That's, that's the beauty of God making all this work. You may serve in some way that you think is small. You may think that me just opening the door for somebody, handing them a bulletin, and I only do it every three or four weeks. You may think, eh, no big deal. It's no big skin off my back to show up 20 minutes early to shake somebody's hand, to smile, hand them a bulletin. In the whole scheme of things, yeah. That's not a big time involvement. <laughs> but it's crucially important. Something so small as that, small as that, can be the difference between somebody understanding that this connection here is for the sake of connecting them. That's a huge role to play. And every single part matters. Every member matters. So the question... The take-home, the so what, is are you doing your part? In simple terms, are you doing your part? You may not know what that part is. Your answer may be, yes, I am. (laughs) At which point, be encouraged. You're participating in seeing God make himself known through the body. That is awesome work. If your answer is, not sure I am, or no, well, take this as a opportunity to be convicted to know what that is we have a whole bunch of folks who would love to help you be a part of what god is doing through us there are dozens of jobs that need to be done around here and you could play just one little part of it but (laughs) that little part can have huge consequences for someone else experiencing the connection that you enjoy in christ I'm going to close with an illustration that uh, many of you have probably heard before. It's a uh, well-worn illustration that I've heard, oh, quite a few times. But it makes the point effectively about 
about what this body looks like when it's working well, when, when each little part is working properly, when the goal of being connected for the sake of connecting others, blessed to be a blessing, when that is in place, what the body looks like. And it's simply geese flying in a V going to where they're supposed to go. <laughs> geese flying in a V formation, uh, migrating to uh, warmer weather is, uh, is a process that, that demonstrates this well. When, when they do that, there are some, uh, some varieties of, of geese. There are dozens of different varieties of, of geese that do this. Uh, but some of them go 2,500 to 3,000 miles in one, uh, one way of this migrating pattern. And there are a few real interesting things about this uh, that demonstrate sort of the different ways that we play a part in this. Uh, those who are in the front uh, don't stay in the front all that long because, because of the wind that's coming. Those who are in the front experience uh, sort of a harder time of it. And so those in the front are rotating uh, the leadership. So when the person in the person, the goose in the front gets tired, they switch uh, with somebody behind them and another flies point. Another interesting thing is that by flying as they do, every single one of those geese creates uh, an upwind, an updraft for the goose immediately behind them. Every single one of them, with every flap of their wings, creates some uplift for the person Immediately, there it is again, for the goose immediately behind them. <laughs> Apparently we are all geese. We're called a flock and not a gaggle. Every single flap of the wings creates an uplift for the goose behind. Uh, many estimate that because of that process, because of that uplift, uh, a, a, a gaggle, a flock of geese flying in V formation can go up to 70% farther than they otherwise could without being in that formation, without that uplift. Another interesting thing <coughs> is that when one of the geese is wounded or sick or uh, can't, can't make the flight, two of them will uh, gather with that one and, and, and fly slower until that one sick or unhealthy uh, goose is, is healthy and ready to make the trek, even to the point where that sick one, uh, if it needs to, to go to ground, those two will stay as long as it takes for that one to get better. This one's kind of funny, and I hadn't known this until I looked this time. Uh, the geese in the back, the ones that have the easiest time of it, the ones that enjoy all of the, uh, the uplift the geese in the back are the ones that do the honking. <laughs> the geese in the back are the ones that, I guess, do the encouragement. They're the ones saying, hey, good job up there. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's working fine. <laughs> What's your role in this here? Whether it's being up front, leading, whether it's just flapping your wings, whether it's helping someone who's sick uh, to nurse somebody back to health, whether it's uh, being in the back going, good job, it's working, well done. 
interesting thing about this is that uh, God, God created this so that it just happens. It is the natural instinct of a goose that has to fly thousands of miles. It's the natural.